Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everything in between, welcome to another edition of The Ryan Show FM with your host, Ryan Vernell. It is indeed 2023, and the world is still kicking. We haven't blown ourselves up yet, which means that we have to blow this damn show up. And to do so, we plan on hitting you with nonstop entertainment, two-hour intervals, just like always. And to start the new year off the right way, we're bringing on two very special people. The first of which is one of my favorite wrestlers as a kid. You may be familiar with Ernest the Cat Miller from his time spent at WCW. An absolute legend, one of the greatest on the mic, knew how to talk smack, and was one of the great karate legends of our time, a four-time world champ, so kick your ass in real life and in the wrestling ring. And if you saw the hit movie, The Wrestler, he did star in it opposite alongside Mickey Rourke. He was Ayatollah, the heel. Also tonight, if you're familiar with our program, you may have heard this brilliant mind on this program earlier in the summer. Courtney Barnes, one of the great lawyers in this nation, is joining us. She's done some great work in the courts, including help draft the very first voter-initiated psilocybin policy reform ordinance. That's in Denver, Colorado. But I'm hoping, and I'm sure many of you are too, that psilocybin and other psychedelics will be legal in New York. As psilocybin becomes legal state to state, it's important that we know what the hell we're putting into our body. And Courtney is the person to ask. She is a genius. She knows what she's talking about, well-informed. People like Miss Courtney Barnes are incredibly important because they are able to put into words the benefits of magic mushrooms. Unlike idiots like myself who just say, it opens up my third eye, man. You need to experience it. She'll be able to really break it down and explain the science behind psilocybin, which is something we all really need to hear. We need to erase this stigma as we move into 2023, as we heal spiritually, mentally, physically together as a collective. And let's start with this two hours tonight. So strap in, get ready, and hold on tight for another two-hour Ryan Show FM experience. DJ Khalil on the ones and twos to get it started for the new year. Khalil, let's get it going, Follow baby. him on social media at DJ Khalil. That's D-E-E-J-A-Y-K-H-A-L-I-L. Just blaze. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. Uh. Killer. All the girls see the... Look at his kicks, look at his car, all I say is Look mommy, I'm no good, I'm so hood Clap with your soldiers, sober, then leave after it's over Killer, I'm not your companion, or your man standing Don't hit me when you wanna get rammed in, I be scrambling With lots of monsters, shot for lobsters, cops and robbers Listen, every block is blocker But she like the way I diddy bop, you peep that Make one more me kicks, plus Chanel ski hat She want the, so I give her the now she's screaming out uh, Killer, yeah, she's playing with herself Can't dig it out, lift her up Mine's just a f*** girl, get it out Pick one up, they want the boys Montana with guns with bandanas Listen to my old boy, Santana with the, I'm telling ya Put a shell in ya Now we bleeding, get him Call us, he wheezing, he need us He screaming Damn, shut up He snitching This bitching He's twisted. If Fed was listening, damn. I'm in trouble, need bail money. Where the f is my? I got trust for my. That's why I'm with my. That's my. He gon' come get us. He got love for us. That's my. Uh huh. Uh huh. Well, he got 
court with the, we went to court for the, just me and mom, and we saying, be on the block with my, with the rock of the, when the cops come, squalor. Yeah, this is for the sports car. Benitas, Jimmy's, PJ's, old school, 18th at the sports bar. Eight or nine on the, holla at your boy. Killer, holla, listen, it's the DIP plus the ROC. You'll be DOA, your moms will say. Ain't no stopping them guns, we got a lot of them. Matter of fact, Google, start popping them. Hey, slap up this, clap up this, wrap up this, get them. Diplomats are them for the girls in the say Yeah, yeah And when they see Cam in this, they say damn Santana's that, that squeeze hammers Cannons and bandanas, blamers, we don't brandish Flam at your man's canvas, then scram with your man's landing And I'm back with my Until that man is vanished So we're in the Grand Canyon, these kids are grandstanding The man ransom over them grand scrambling Damn him, cam or blam, blam him. Call up is I'm down south tanning. Mommy, I got the remedy. Tommy's up at the enemy. Homies and body, but now my body is feeling panicky. Killer and Cabo, we chillin' Morocco for real. We got no chichilla, throw a fill with them hollows, huh? It's the, I said it's the, I'm the. Snowflakes by the up. I guess even back then you can call me CEO of the ROC. Ho, fresh out the frying pan into the fire. I be the music biz number one supplier. Flyer than a piece of paper bearing my name. Got the hottest chick in the game wearing my chain. That's right, ho. Not DOC, but similar to them letters. No one could do it better. I check cheddar like a food inspector My homie Strick told me, dude, finish your breakfast So that's what I'ma do, take you back to the dude with the Lexus Fast forward the jewels and the necklace Let me tell you dudes what I do to protect us Shoot at you actors like movie directors Say <laughs> the movie, dog. Now, before I finish, let me just say I did not come here to show out Did not come here to impress you Because to tell you the truth, when I leave here, I'm gone And I don't care what you think about me But just remember, when it hits the fan, brother Whether it's next year, 10 years, 20 years from now You'll never be able to say that these brothers lied to you, Jack They ain't lie I done came through the block and everything that's fly I'm like, check your barrel with bling on I'm complex I never claim to have wings on Get my, by any means on Whenever there's a drought, get your umbrellas out Because that's when I brainstorm You can blame Sean, but I ain't inventing the game I just rolled the dice trying to get some change And I do it twice, ain't no sense in me Lying as if I am a different man And I can blame my environment But ain't no reason why I be buying expensive chains Hope you don't think users are the only abusers Getting high within the game If you do, then how would you explain? I'm ten years removed, still a vibe is in my veins I got a hustler spirit, period Check out my hat, yo, peep the way I wear it Check out my swag, yo, I walk like a ball player No matter where you go, you are what you are, player And you can try to change, but that's just the top layer Man, you was who you was before you got here Only God can judge me, so I'm gone Either love me or leave me alone Check this, oh, start this, right! 
It's going down to die. Dog off the leash. Dog walks free. Dog stalks the streets. And they got to eat. How many times do I gotta come through? Laying the thing down, putting holes in you. You cats get it on the double, so stay the f out of my way. We double double far to bring you trouble, God. We rolling double hard, yeah, double law. I don't know what you thought it was, but it's not. But I know that you caught the they was hot. Get the f off the block. There's no more room for dog. I'm coming to get thick. Lift the out they boots, dust it. Cause I don't just walk around with the things of fucking. Uh, we go hard. Never mind what it is. They go hard. Play how we wanna play, go hard Man, we do this shit all day, go hard Uh, uh, we go hard Never mind what it say, go hard We gon' play how we wanna play, go hard We do this shit all day, go hard Yo, I leave jail smoothly Jump in the pill, who the hell Diplomats, you look at alliance You shook in defiance, I'm cooking up Looking for clients I got that Scope red on your head, still 40 thou Worse than foul, so nerf turf burst and blow Give the church my child, ask the nurture thou Cause I seen the hearses now But if this was Gilligan's owl, thirst and howl Wow, look at his kicks, they worth a doubt Isn't it sad, do what I say and wish that you had Your mission get grabbed, W piss in the bag But worse than that, took in the bag Broke the fractions, a division of math I'm Hollywood, and on shout we go hard She 
like them bar with the big old chains Ride around town in the big old range I knew it when I rocked big old chains Now the little doing big old things Would you look at that? I came back for it Just to get to you Like you asked for Man, that thing in them jeans too fat for it Rebound, so I caught off the backboard I told a baby girl, come here Know I run the town even when I ain't from there And I brag hardly, but just to show up at this party I made with your making one, yeah, that's unfair But so is life, take a chance, roll the dice Money can't buy your love, cause it's overpriced Don't overthink, uh, just hope it's right I'm only here for the night, hey, we got a good thing Don't know if I'ma see you again But is that a good thing? Cause girl, I can't be your man No man, I know what's on your brain You probably hope it never would end Like is it the real thing? Or is it just a one night stand? Well then, let me see you get high and go low Now girl, won't you drop that thing down to the flow? I'm here for one night, how far will you go? I wanna see you work out for me, work out Fresh on the scene, hottest on the block, damn girl, you mean, uh, they be starting sh but it's your world, on my Martin sh you go girl, she bad and she know it, some of them say those, I'm not that heroic, could you be my escort, cause just like them two door fours, damn they don't make them like you no more, cold world, real cold world, them boys cool, me I'm on fire, know what's on my mind, tryna see what's on yours tonight, uh, tonight, Tonight, move slow, but you wanna live fast Up late, so you'll probably skip class Life is a test, so before the night pass Get right, uh, get right Hey, we got a good thing Don't know if I'ma see you again But is that a good thing? Cause girl, I can't be your man No man, I know what's on your brain You probably hope it never would end Like, is it the real thing? And we are back. This is indeed the Ryan Show FM. And yet again, we are joined by another living legend. We are paying homage week in and week out, it seems, these days. We have one of the great all-time heels here on our live stream tonight. So we got to pay our homage. Hopefully he doesn't turn heel on us and you, the listeners. But we do have Ernest, the Cat Miller, WCW icon. WWE 2. WWE 2. Don't forget that. I know. Well, I got to be honest, man. When I was watching you intently, it was when you were one of the top heels at WCW, one of the best on the mic ever. Super underrated at that. And yes, a WWE superstar, Kung Fu champion, four time Kung Fu champion. He'll kick your ass in real life. Well, Give, we're not Kung Fu. Uh, karate. karate. I'm, I don't know why I said karate. Kung Fu. Four time karate champ, as evidenced by that finisher. Sorry, man. I don't know why I said Kung Fu. But put it's your okay. goddamn hands and feet together or whatever you possibly can for Ernest <laughs> Big Cat Miller here for the first time ever. How are you, my friend? Hey, man, to the Ryan I, show. I, I, I'm good, man. You know, I, I listened to you and when you said underrated, I was not underrated. I was rated and that was good enough because the talent we had in WCW back then, there was no mid card. Let, let's just say the mid card consisted of Chris Jericho, Dean Malenko, 
And then you had the higher level with the NWO, with Kevin Nash, Hulk Hogan. So there wasn't any kind of space. If you was rated at all, or if you was on the show at all, you had to be really, really talented because we had talented guys just sitting in the locker room waiting the chances. Primetime television. Man, it prime, wasn't just wrestling. Primetime television. You mentioned off the air before we got started that they literally had to move football because Listen, of how everybody was watching wrestling. Now, now this is what I heard. I, I wasn't in an office, but I heard it from someone who, who was in the office at that time that worked behind the scene. One of the things they heard and that they were hearing that Monday Night Football were thinking about going to like a Tuesday or Wednesday because the ratings were doing so bad. But then on the other hand, the ratings for WCW and WWF was skyrocketing. You know, it was going up all, you know, all the time. Matter of fact, for eight or three weeks, we were way ahead of everybody. Monday Night Football wasn't getting in the ratings, and WWF wasn't getting the top rating. It was WCW. It was a phenomenon. I didn't live in the 80s. I didn't watch wrestling in the 80s. Neither the did I. Go, so we're, we're going to get into that, too, about your start in wrestling. But it's just, and there were some great superstars back in the 80s. There was, you know, Cole Colgan, but there was a few. When, when I look at the 90s, it was just a roster of absolute stars. Just you so know, much star power packed on that WCW roster, like you said, to even be on that mid card, you had to be doing something spectacular. I mean, yeah, spectacular yeah. on the ring, you know, on the mic. You know, somebody asked me the difference between today wrestling and, and, and yesterday wrestling and wrestling of the 90s. What are the difference? Right now, it seems like they're really straining to make characters work, you know, to get gimmicks that people going to want to be a fan of, you know. So it's hard to develop that. Back in the old days in the 90s, people like Glacier, Goldberg, these, man, they had these guys sitting back in the back waiting to get their turn on TV. So, you know, it's like you pump them out so fast, the fans of, won't have time to follow one because one after the next one is coming. The next one's coming. They get no bored. So if you took one of those guys like, hmm, let's say like Jericho and put him in the business today, where would he be? Good point. On top, just like he is now. He's on top. But back in those days, Jericho was just as he was in his prime. And yeah. Sterico wasn't doing a lot on TV. I don't know why, but he was talented. It's all outdoors, man. This dude right here was talented. But then people still consider him sometimes as not a Mick Carter, but they they knew his talent. But he wasn't in the NWO. He wasn't headlining like he is today because there was so many other people out there. And over-the-top personalities at the same time. Oh, Jericho was 24-7. Even yourself, like you know, your original gimmick was like you said, a, a karate master, and it just naturally developed so nicely with the dancing. So, who was behind the creation of your character? Who thought of all of this? Listen, one thing about the nineties, we had guys from all from nineteen eighty, like Sid Vicious, all the way up to we had people that a lot of people didn't know, like um, uh, Alice Wright. Disco yeah. Inferno, we had Chris Benoit, we had the Armstrong brothers. I was surrounded by talented people, man. 
And people don't understand, before I got into wrestling, I never thought about being a wrestler. You know, I always thought I was going to be the world top middle linebacker in the NFL or the world best martial artist. I had no idea how to wrestle or what wrestling was about. I was a fan. So, but I found myself in the business in 1990 and people were pushing me to get out there because they said I was pretty good. But in order for me to get out there, I had to develop. I had to, I had to move quick. I didn't have time to just sit back and wait to get over. So what I used is what I had around me. I, was, I had all the talent in the world. So when I needed something, I wanted to do something, I'd go to Disco Inferno. I'll go to Brad Armstrong. I'll go to Sid Vicious, Big Van Vader, and say, what do you think about this? How do you think? And they always gave me good information. And I just went out there and applied it to what the fans, it was already hot. So I just went out there and implemented the the uh, action. And I'm telling you, it got over. It got me over. You have a very interesting start to your pro wrestling career. Because we mentioned you were already an athlete. You thought you could be in the NFL. And you were a karate master and champion before that. So a lot of wrestlers, like we watched first, you were in the movie, The Wrestler. We see the beginnings and what a lot of these guys go through. And you were already established as an athlete, already yep. had presence. Yep. So how much do you think that helped you? Or do you think it hurt you in the beginning, joining WCW, having already been established in the world of professional fighting? It, it, it really didn't hurt me, but what it did to me, it slowed me down. Wrestling was like a, wasn't an afterthought but it was something that I never had on my resume. It wasn't like I wanted to be a pro wrestler, but the opportunity presented itself to me. And here I was, I'm out here in front of a crowd. I got an audience, I got this. Now, what am I gonna do? My mindset was still, I wanted to be a world karate champion. I wanted to make this, I wanna make my impact in martial arts, but I never got to that platform because at the same time, martial arts started to, 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 to climb up that ladder with the UFC. I was in WCW. So, you know, Dana White and no guys came to get me, to recruit me from WCW. And Eric Bischoff said, no, he's doing good in wrestling. So wow. I went to WC. I, I could have went to the UFC when it first came out because pe the people don't understand. I'm a hell of a fighter. I'm still at 58. I'm still bad. I'm still a bad man. Wait, so Dana White literally tried to recruit you from WCW. Dana White tried to recruit Eric Bischoff, too. But Eric Bischoff had this idea of how he was going to mix and match fighters in WCW. So you can bring those shooters like me. I, they call me a shooter. That yeah. means I'm deadly for real. <laughs> you know, it's not like I'm, I'm shooting blanks. This guy, when they say he's a shooter, that means he can go for real on you. So, you know, he got the talent to do that. So I, I would consider a shooter. So Eric Bischoff wanted to bring guys in like me and teach them how and have them to wrestle against wrestlers. And, you know, the wrestlers was there to make shooters like me look like wrestlers. You know, it's like when I got the part with the movie The Wrestler, for instance, yeah. and, and I was going to have a match with Randy the Ram. And uh, it was going to be Mickey Rourke, who never wrestled before. He'll tell you, he knew nothing about wrestling. One of the reasons, Darren Aronofsky, one of the best directors in the world, said, the reason I'm going to give you this part, because I think you can make 
Randy the Ram looked like a wrestler. Wow. And they don't understand that was our job in pro wrestling. Goldberg didn't get to be Goldberg because he can go out on the street and beat up 170 people. Goldberg got to be Goldberg because it took 170 people to make Goldberg win look good for TV audience to believe it. Exactly. So, you know, Ric Flair is Ric Flair because it took people like me to lose to him, to build him up or to do something. So I learned that real quickly in, in wrestling that this is what we were going to have to do. And I, and this is what's going to get you over. So my thing was just to play off people, you know, have fun. So, you know, like I was saying back then, we had so much talent that I would see some of my, I would see Hacksaw Jim Duggan walking around in the back not even on TV, couldn't even get on TV because they didn't have enough space for him. But that was one of the guys I grew up watching, you know? Yeah, that's insane. That's an oversaturation for sure. There's a lot we're going to get into. We just encompass so much in such a small amount of time, but I want to get into everything from Hey, bro, listen, I ain't going to do your show but one time, so don't tell me about you don't have enough time. You about to get in everything you can get in right now. I love it. You we're going to get it all in right now. Yeah. We're going to a quick break. Come back. We're going to play some James Brown on this break, and we're going to come back. We do have Ernest the Cat Miller in studio. Nobody go anywhere. We will return. Fellas! Yeah! A brand new funk. Tell us about it. A brand new funk. Yeah. All right. If you want to get down with a bird, this is the way you do it. Walk up and rap to it. Put your hand on the lower left. I mean, come on like you should. Come on, would you come on? Hey! 
We are back with the four-time karate champion, Ernest the Cat Miller. He says it's his first and last appearance here, but we'll see. I've got a feeling he'll be back. We've got a lot to talk about tonight. Not just about him starring in The Wrestler, but the origins. The origins of Ernest the Cat Miller. Hey, how my shades look? Those shades are hard as hell, man. I got to say, Cat, look at those things. It is It is. 7.30 here. The sun is not out, but you know, cool. You got to just let the people see it. Damn, I look good. But go ahead, go ahead. You got some smooth-ass glasses there. I'm digging them. So you mentioned starting wrestling for the first time, and it wasn't an ordinary start. From what uh, from what I see, the hang on just one second here. Sorry about that. The the uh the uh the president of uh WCW, Eric Bischoff, was taking or his son was taking karate classes at the time. And I guess that's one he had discovered. You can you tell us more about meeting Eric Bischoff for the first time and how all of that came to uh, came to flourish? Well, you know what? It's a, it's a kind of a, a funny story. I had just started teaching karate. I started teaching karate at this nice, a really good, good school. But none of the guys could fight. It was one of those kind of like after school program kind of karate school where the teacher get in a van and they'll go pick up the kids and bring them back and play volleyball and dodgeball with them and teach them how to do a little kicks. And to me, it was just, to me, that's just a waste of time, you know? And I, I recognize that none of the kids over there could really fight. They could really use what they were learning. They had no focus, you know? And, and, and as far as, um, techniques they were terrible they were really terrible there the, the, the student was terrible so it was a few students that i kind of connected to and and uh eric bischoff saw one and he was about 10 years old then he was a nice looking kid tough kid and he wanted to learn martial arts he wanted martial arts so um you know after he'll go through the regular class with the chief instructor but then after the after the class was over his mom always said, hey, can you work with him for 15, 20 minutes? And I worked the heck out of him for 15, 20 minutes. He kept coming back and back and back. And every day I noticed that whenever I gave him something to work on, he will go home and he will come back a little bit better. Wow. So I was like, is he going to another school or to another karate instructor to get this? Because he's, he's getting the right information from somewhere. So as we continued to work out, one day he did a technique that I he should it he should have even known how to do this technique. Yeah. But someone with experiences, you know, in karate and have fought before knew how to use taught him how to use the technique the right way. So I asked him, I was like, so who you been working with? You've been working with somebody, kid. Tell him who you been with. He said, nobody. He said, oh, my dad showed me. I said, oh, your dad showed you how to do it. I said, your dad know karate? He said, yes, he's a black belt. So I was like, oh, that's good. And th that's it. That's about the size of it. So I would give him something to go home. Then one day, this kid came to class. And I saw him in class. And his mom was a little bit of blonde lady, pretty, green eyes. And she wasn't there. So I looked around. I'm like, hey, how you get to class? He said, my dad brought me. I said, where's your dad? He pointed outside the door. He said, he's outside. You can see through the front door or glass door, somebody standing outside on a phone 
with dark hair and teeth so white it looked like the sun was shining in <laughs> the building. And I was like, that's your dad? He said, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. So anyway, so we went through the class. Class was over. He went out. His dad came and shook my head. Said, I'd like to thank you, man, for the work you've been putting in with my son. He, he talked about you all the time. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really, um, you know, thank you. You know, and I said, okay. I said, thank you. He's a good kid. So three weeks went by. The next time he came in, it was sparring night. And sparring night, I used to get all the kids together and tell them, let's fight. So what they used to do is they used to chase me around and I'll flip over, I'll turn a cockwheel, I'll flip over behind them, they'll swing at me, I'll jump up over their head and I was like, can't nobody catch me, I'm the champ, I'm just doing all this, just playing around with kids. Then Eric Bishop called me to the outside and I still didn't know who Eric was. He said, man, listen, can I take you to lunch uh, tomorrow? I said, yeah. So I got there, we went to lunch and um, I didn't like him at first because I thought he was playing a joke because he did something that I, I know he, he knew better. He took me to a sushi place. I was like, man, I don't eat raw fish, man. I'm a black man. I don't eat no <laughs> raw fish. Hell, you at this place talking about soup. What you call it, suki? He said sushi. So, uh, you Wait, know, time out. Had, so you were a four-time karate champ? Not to be, like, racist against Asians, well, but you never had sushi? Man, and you were a four-time I mean, karate champ? I knew it three was times out there. Then. I knew it was out there, but you know what? I wasn't going out there to get no... No dead fish with the head and all that. I didn't want to. <laughs> so when they put it on my plate and we sat down, he ordered and he just started talking. He just said, man, you're talented. You're good looking. He said, man, and you're a skilled fighter. And But what you did with those kids, if you could do that on TV, you'll be successful. And I said, why TV? He said, well, I work with a, a company. And uh, I said, what kind of company? He said, it's... It's uh, pro wrestling. Then I was like, I don't I didn't watch it at that time. So I said, I don't really watch it. He said, man, you would be good at it. But see, understand this. This was right at the tail end of me winning the ISKA Karate Kickboxing Heavyweight Championship. I was 9-0, and knocking people out left and right. Wow. I had fought the top guy in the, in the, um, that was fighting then in the heavyweight for the ISKA. And um, I was undefeated. So when he started talking about I said, so pro wrestling, that's fake, right? He said, well, it's entertainment. He said, it's not really fake. I said, well, I think it's fake. God, you tell who's going to win and lose, right? I said, I can't do that. I said, why? I said, because my mind is set on something else. You know, my mind is set on knocking people out for real, mm. getting hit and not letting people know that I'm hurt. You know, telling people I'm the greatest, then going out here and showing them, putting myself out on a limb, then go out here and shake up the world. So he was like, see, that's what we need on this show right here. Then I'm like, man, listen, there's no way I think you, you can get me out of this karate school and get me into wrestling until he said I can make you a very wealthy man. I said, okay, can I come to your office tomorrow? <laughs> but that's what he said. He said, I can make you a very wealthy man. Yeah, I mean, how can you really? So was this your karate school or were you working at the karate school? I was actually working at the karate school, though, and I was making no lie. Yeah. Teaching karate at that time, and I was just teaching straight karate. I probably were making maybe twelve hundred dollars a month. Wow. I was like, man, you know, but 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 and you, you were know, a heavyweight champion. That's insane. And but and, and, and this school had never had somebody like me at a school like this, unless they were either paying you, um, 
giving you something that will gonna give you a reason to be there, but you would never find a, a athlete like me at this school. You know, it was just a, it was a it was a it was in a very wealthy neighborhood, but it was like a, for a bunch of kids after school program for young kids, and I just so happened to, to, to stumble into it because the head of the school was a guy named Joe Corley. Joe Corley was the guy who originally he was the he was the Dana White of karate at that time. ESPN had a show called the PKA Karate. And they had people like Ernesto Hoos, uh, uh, Rick Rufus. Uh, man, they had a host of karate guys and they you come on Saturday night. So he was over this. So he was the one that came to get me and he had all these plans for me too. But I think at that time, one of his head guys got into a little trouble and it kind of slowed it down. I was teaching for him anyway. As I was teaching for him, I want to make about $1,200. But you got to understand, martial arts, you don't get into martial arts to make a lot of money. You get into martial arts because you love what you do. You love teaching. You love giving away. You love showing off your skills that don't not too many people have. So, you know, it's a situation that um, I was in, but making $1,200 a month. But, you know, I love my kids. I love doing what I was doing with the kids. And, to this day, I still teach kids. Wow. You know, I mean, yeah, I'm a, you don't think about it, but you know, when you're a prize fighter, you go into boxing, you know, at the end of the tunnel, there's a gigantic pot of gold if you can really make it in that realm. But, but not in, in kickboxing, karate, still, still not. Ain't no pot of gold for a fighter. You know, you can get you, you can be well known throughout the world, but right now, well, there's not a pot of gold at, at, at the end. And some of these fighters talk about they're making $30 million, $100 million. Check their bank account, see if it's real. Because that's the part that they took from pro wrestling, where these fighters can go. Nobody know what your contract looked like. Nobody know how wow. much. So you think they make. could be faking some of these contracts man, and just. Like Ted, more like Ted DiBiase. Talking about the million dollar man. You know, listen, if, if, if these guys got $30 million and $40 million, why are they still fighting? beating their brains up, you know? So anyway, so anyway, I got into wrestling and uh, and um, I decided, you know what? Eric put together a good routine for me. He said, you can come in and we'll send you to, we'll get your name big. And that way you could go to Japan, make about three, $400,000 for three months of work over in Japan. Then you can come back here and teach your kids. So to me, that sounded like a win for me. So I told Eric, I said, okay, Eric, he said, just come to my office downtown next week. And uh, now, yeah, next week. And uh, we assign you up and get you in the school, the power plant. How, so, did, uh, how did wrestlers take you coming to the power plant being so experienced? Like, did they treat you different than some random amateur wrestler that's in there doing all this stuff for the first time, given your caliber of what you're already doing? Man, when I, was, when I went to the power plant, you already had stars in there. You had Goldberg. He was in there. You had Ray Lord, Glacier. He was in there. You had uh, 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 nobody does it better than uh, Chris Canyon, you know, Brian, uh, Ralph. You had all these guys already in there. So when I came in there, you know, it, it wasn't like I thought it was going to be. These guys, all they wanted to do is help, help make the business. They love the business. Just like I love karate, yeah. these guys, Chris Canyon, Ray Lord and um 
uh, uh, the flock, all the guys in the flock, you know, those guys, man, those guys love wrestling. They love wrestling. Yeah. Man. And you know, this guy named kind of skipped me now, but what's his name? The flock guy. Raven. Um, yeah. Raven. Raven was like, man, these guys were such great guys in there, man. All they wanted to do is help, help people who's on the show to make the show better. They love wrestling, man. Just like I love karate, they love wrestling. So we kind of connected on that. But one thing I brought to wrestling was I brought my toughness and I brought my skills to get better. Just like I got into a world karate champion, I had to bust my butt to get there. And I had to work when I didn't want to work. So I brought that into wrestling. They told me when I got to wrestling, they said, listen, we're going to pay you. I'll tell you now. They said, we're going to pay you $1,000 a week except for he said just to come and practice i'm like a thousand dollars a week he said yeah i'm like shoot that's cool so i said how many days you want me down there he said just show up and and get ready for the show and then when you then when you make the when you make the show your this is what your contract will be here then if you make the pay-per-view show if you make monday night your pay will go up to here if you make uh a pay-per-view your pay rate go up to here so I had all these things into the millions, you know, wow. all I had to do is just achieve those. I knew nothing about wrestling. You know, what gets me, Ked, is I look back at the Attitude Era and I look back at the 90s and wrestling. You guys don't have formal acting training. You guys just get up there on a mic and have these monologues. I mean, it might be some training, I guess, behind the scenes, but. See, that's what you just said. That's what got me because I was so fast. But then on the other hand. You know, these guys do have training because you're training every time you have a match. Every night you're training, doing something, even if you're not on. Think about it. Ray, Chris Canyon, these guys were wrestling for years and years before they ever got to WCW. Yeah, you know, when I, was, yeah. when I was in WWF, when you see a match on Monday Night Raw, they probably have done that match about 10 times, <laughs> you know, before really? TV. Vince McMahon don't just put a quick match on there. They go to the house shows, they do that match. They go to another house show, they do that match. They go to another house show, they do that match. All the way to it's time to put that, maybe six weeks of time to put that match on TV. Wow. And they done went over it so much and practiced so much. It just now it just it's just easy. You just pop it off like that. So these guys have all this experience. They're doing these indie shows, they're doing these promos for years. You weren't. You were doing real life fighting, man. You were I working to... with kids. What was it like that first time you stepped on television in front of millions of viewers? You've got a microphone in your hand. You're in front of thousands of people in this arena. What was that like for the first time? I almost passed out. People don't understand. I was so nervous. Mouth was dry, man. I was like, you know, it, it was such a, you know, because I'm not going to call his name, but one of the guys was, you can always meet that guy who, want you had to win over he's not gonna just want you to be good he's not just gonna want you to do good it was that one guy in that way in my way like that and and i think the reason he threw me out there like that we was in chicago and um he threw me out there and what happened in the locker room that's why all the fun go on i had been there about a year year or so then but that's why all the fun go on in the locker room. We talk, me, Booker T, go at it all. Every time I go there, me and Booker T just start ragging each other. Me and Scott, 
Scott Hall and Nash come in and they just ragged me and I just ragged them. One day I had the whole locker room just dying laughing. And I'm going at it with 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 Scott Hall on one side, Nash on the other side, uh Scott Steiner in the middle, and all of just going at it. And I'm holding my ground, just talking crap, laughing. Everybody had the whole locker room laughing. So then Disco went to this guy and said, Man, you ought to hear this guy, man. You ought to see this guy. This guy got careers. We ought to see him in the locker room, man. So if you can get him to do this on TV, man, it'll be great, man, because you ought to see him in the locker room. So the guy he was telling that, guess what he did? I've never been on TV before speaking in front of a big crowd like that. I'm kind of shy in a way. I had anxiety, you know, and and nervousness and all this stuff. He didn't try to break to that. He just came. He said, here, cat, here go a mic. I was like, what to do? He said, go out and talk to the crowd. I said, what? I said, say what? He said, say anything. Just go out and talk to the crowd. We need the crowd hot. I said, what you mean hot? He said, we need the crowd live. So we in commercial. So when we come back to a TV show and come back to TV from the commercial, we want the crowd already laughing and talking loud. He said, just go out and say anything. So he gave me the mic. And I walked out there, man, and I was so nervous. I started looking around. I didn't even know how to start. What should I do? But like a martial artist, when your back is against the wall, that's when you, that's when you perish. That's when you get out there. That's when you push through. That's when you present your real inner strength. So my back was against the wall. And I started thinking that way as I was standing there. I said, you know what? If I'm going to be good at this, I got to start now. I'm thinking things to myself. I got, I'm talking myself through this. I'm talking like, if this going, if I'm going to be good, man, this is an opportunity for me to take care of my mother, to take care of my kids the way I want to. So something happened. And the first thing I did, like, and nobody said anything. And I re- that came from high school where the teacher come into the room, the kids talking. And I did it again. And nobody said anything. Then I said, hey, man, please have your attention. Nobody stopped. Then I said, hey, my, please have your attention. I said it again. Then I said, shut the hell up. And when I said it, the crowd got quiet. <laughs> so I started talking. You know, I just started saying, listen, I'm here in this time right here. They say y'all got this and this. I don't see nothing. I don't like the way you people look. I don't like the way you look in the middle. Matter of fact, I'm going to see if I can get security to get you out of here if they can get your fat ass through the door. And the crowd started going crazy. They started laughing. I said, listen, y'all don't want to hear me because I'm the new sheriff in town, but y'all going to listen to me. And the crowd was just going crazy. They just kept going and going and going to where when I got through, I walked back through the same curtain with the crowd hot. I walked right back through the curtain, right into that same guy who put me out there. And guess what he said? What? He said, man, you could be great if I let you. If I let you. And I said in my head, in my mind, I stopped and I looked at him and I didn't get angry. I didn't feel a thing. But I looked at him and said, hey, bro, you can't stop me because I got somebody bigger on my team. You know? And if the man put me there, God put me in this position. That's what I said. We're not talking Eric Bishop. We're talking God here. We're talking the real man. I said, God put me in this position. I can't fail. And that's how I went through wrestling. Everything they man, they put me in situations I've never been put in before. That's why I was Ernest Miller. You know why they start calling me the cat? Why? Because 
I never learned to wrestle like they did. I didn't practice on the road, but they would ask me to do stuff where I go over the top rope where a guy flipped me up in the air because I'm considered a 235 small guy. Flipped me up, the big wrestler, throw me this way. So they said, "You." I saw guys get their neck and break. I saw a guy break his neck in the ring. I saw see a vicious leg crack open. So I said, I'm not going to put myself in that position. So whatever they did, Chris Benoit stopped me one day. He said, Cat, man, you real talented, man. He said, do your karate. He said, but anything somebody do to you, do only what you can do when you can keep yourself safe. Makes sense. So when they start wanting to do these big deals with me, throw me up, flip me in there, I'll always say, I want to land on my feet. So they can mm. flip me around. They do something, throw me up, come down. I hit my feet, then I hit my back. They'll throw me outside the ring. I hit my feet, then I hit my back, which was good because it was just me in control of it. But I, then the guy saw saying, man, this guy like a cat. So why? He said, you throw him anyway, he's going to land on his feet. That's good in wrestling because they can make other people look convincing. You know, so. And with your gimmick of knowing karate, it just worked perfect. Man, listen, my, you know, my per my karate and my background came into play one time, one particular time is when NWO took over and they were playing jokes on everybody. I mean, for real, cause I think Kevin Nash had the books. He was running the show. He will, you remember Goldberg was undefeated until Kevin Nash took over. And who do you think the first person to stop Goldberg street? Kevin Nash. That's right. He chose himself. And yeah. everybody who he didn't know or wanted to do so. So anyway, they called themselves playing a little trick on me. They told the biggest, fluffiest white guy in the locker room, Scott Norton. They told him to go out and just beat the cat up. Let the cat go do his talking. The crowd gonna get into it. And Scott, don't sell anything. You know what's selling me, right? Yeah, right. taking it, making it look like you're getting hit. Yeah, so yeah. they said, don't sell anything for him. And I didn't know anything. This is my first time being in a position like that. So this guy came out. Everything I did, he just slapped it away. I will try to kick him. And you're not trying to kill anybody. So I will trying to kick him. He'll slap my leg down. He'll chop me with his big ass, heavy hands. And pow, the crowd was like, ooh, ooh. And then he just picked me up and finished me. Boom, picked me up and finished me. And one, two, three, and the crowd went crazy. But I thought I had did my job. You know, that's my job. Yeah, to, so exactly. When, that's that's what you're supposed to be. So you knew beforehand that that was going to happen. No, I didn't know at all. We just went over the match. Uh, Arn Anderson went over the match with me. Arn Anderson told us what to do. But anything I tried to do that Arn Anderson told me to do, he wouldn't let me do it. He would just slap me and slap her down, chop me and beat me up. So anyway. That's crazy. Trick that's super disrespect. Yeah. This is a trick they play on some wrestler. They'll tell you don't sell for him. You know, and to me, man, this I'd have fought 15 rounds before kickboxing, knocking get guys out. This right here, I didn't get it. I didn't get it at all until I left the ring and I walked through the curtains again. And and R. Anderson was standing right there. He said, Man, listen, that's what's wrong with the business today. And I said, what? He said, that's what wrong to be. He said, he said, listen, man, you did your job. You you stayed professional. And I'm like, oh, okay. I don't know what that meant. So then I walk a little further in the locker room. Scott Hall came up to me. And Scott Hall said, in this cool way, he said, hey, Cat, you know that karate stuff for real. He did like that. You know that karate stuff for real, right? 
He said, yeah. He said, man, when you're in the ring and these guys are not working with you, use your karate stuff and take it from them. Then I was like, something must have happened that, that I didn't recognize because I didn't feel it. So I called one of the wrestlers who I knew was at home watching the show because he wasn't on Monday night. Yeah. And uh, it was Eddie Guerrero. So I called Ed. I said, Ed, he always would come and help me on my match when he when I finished. He said, you should have did this, this. So when I called Eddie, Eddie answered the phone. I said, Ed, did you see my match? He said, yep. I said, so what do you think? He said, he just used you as a piece of meat. I said, what? He said, yeah. He just used you as a piece of meat. He just beat you up, made you look bad. He said, don't ever do that again. So then I started getting heated a little bit. So when I hung up the phone, who do you think I see walking down the hall? Eric Bischoff, the guy who brought me in, the guy who gave me millions of dollars, the guy who gave me a successful platform to be myself. I had never asked him for anything. It's all that he did what he wanted to do for me. But yeah. this time, guess what I asked him? I said, I have another match with Scott Norton. He looked at me like I was crazy. He was like, what? He had the shades on. He did like it. What? And he said, you sure you want another match? I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I want another match. Then he said, okay, we'll have it on next Monday. So next Monday came. We go, Arn Allison and myself going over this routine, the match. And he said, okay, Scott, you're going to take the win. You can do whatever you want to do. Then I said, hey, Scott, I don't want to do but three things. He said, what? I want to do three kicks. I said, the first kick, I want you just, I'm going to be in the corner. I want you just take it and slap it away like you did the last weekend. Chop me. Boom. Then I said, then I'm going to bag up. Then I'm going to kick you again. This time, I want you kind of roll back a little bit and sell it. He said, okay, okay. Then I said, now on the third kick, I want you to go down to your back, which if you know wrestling, big guys do not like to go off their feet. They like yeah. to look strong and strong standing up so he said okay 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 same thing he said the week before before he went out and made me a piece of meat so the match go we in the match right before i'm getting ready to go out they calling my name i went out first because i get in the ring and talk about how i'm the deadly karate guy and get the crowd going yeah. there's no music here he'll come out and the crowd will go crazy so i went out there right before i went out i said scott again i said scott remember first kick Slap it down. Don't even act like it didn't do anything to you. Don't act like it even touched you. The second kick, take it in your chest and just kind of roll back a little, roll back a little bit. The third kick, remember, you got to go down. You're like, okay, just, just brush them out. Okay, okay, okay. So we went to the ring. Boom, Scott come out, his music hit, the crowd going crazy. Yeah, because they remember that match we had before. He get in the ring, he started doing the same stuff, chopping me on. You need to look Scott Norton up if you haven't seen Scott Norton. Oh, I know Scott. That's a big boy. His hands are like two of my hands. Yeah, I mean, they feel like he can change a flat tire with his hand. So this dude started chopping me across my chest, man. You know, I got this pretty red tan skin, you know, soft like honey. <laughs> and every time he those rough hands hit it, it would rip through my skin. Oh my so, God. So he started doing it again. Bang, bang. Then it, it's time. Those three kicks I told him to do. And I told him to do it 
how I wanted it done. This dude right here, here we come. I kick at him. The first kick, what do you think he did? Just slapped it out the way, chopped me again. Boom. I kicked at him again. What do you think he did? I was kicking him in the chest at that time. What do you yeah. think he did? He slapped it down, chopped me again. There he go again. But remember, I warned him two or three times to go down on that third kick. Let me tell you something. I shot, I hit a kick that went straight through his chin and probably out the top of his head because <laughs> I kicked the kick straight up, straight up where he couldn't get away from it. And he oh was spit teethless and he spit out his front tooth, blood oh everywhere. He hit the mat, he hit the mat and went down. And I had not only did I have to, because he was supposed to get the win. He wasn't supposed to die in the ring. So I had to pick him up. I had to rip his shit, rip his shirt by mistake when I picked him up. And then he chopped me and I went down and he got the one, two, three. So me and my manager, as we got to the locker, as we got to the backstage, all the guys were looking at man, that's the best bump he's ever taken. So he had never saw him work with people like work like that. Yeah, and then when they said, that's the best bump, you know what the bump is, right? Of course. That's but I'm sure the, the listeners, the listeners, this is a massive audience of people that might not know. So to those that don't know what a bump is, bump is where you take a hit in wrestling, correct? Yeah, where well, you fall. You take where the you, fall. You it's take the, the fall. fall. <clears throat> so they said that was the best bump he ever took. Man, he had never taken a bump like that. Or for a big man to go down that fast. And soon they said they were just giving him all the praise. I looked at my manager, which was Sonny Elno, and I said, he couldn't do anything but take that bump because not, I would have ripped his ripped his damn head off. That kick would have ripped his head off his body. Oh man. My God. So then by that time he came through, I thought it was time to fight. Cause when he came through, he was spitting up blood, his shirt was ripped, and he just walked by, shook my hand, and went on to the locker room. Oh and my I tell God. that story all the I tell that story all the time. That was my only time where I said, okay, I'm going to give you two oh kicks to work with me. Now, if you ain't going to work with me, that third kick going to teach you a lesson. I've never had another problem with anybody else in the ring for the next that five years. Wow. And this is a perfect time to go to break. Normally, I ask, have you ever used your finishing move in real life? That's a little series, a theme that we have going here on the Ryan Show FM. But I guess that kind of was it the actual feed liner that you used on him in that move? It wasn't a feed liner, but it was my foot to face. Let's just say a that. A little foot to face foot action. To face action. We're going to take a quick break, come back and wrap things up. I wish we could spend all night with the cat because it may no, be bro, 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 I don't need you with me all night. The cat got some important people to see. I don't need you with it. me all night. And I don't need those fans who out there right now probably bugging you trying to get the cat's phone number. Don't you give my number away and don't you give any of my information away until I tell you to. Cause these fans are low trash and I don't even want to be bothered with them calling me all night. I'm not trying to get that front tooth knocked out. Lord knows I need it. I'll avoid that third <laughs> kick. This is the Ryan Show FM. We got the cat in the studio. We'll be back. <laughs> this episode of the Ryan Show FM is brought to you by Gruntworks Meat Company a veteran-owned meat distribution company that is dedicated to providing high-quality meats at affordable prices. 
At Gruntworks, we believe that those who put themselves on the front lines for our country deserve to be compensated fairly. That's why we offer prices that are competitive, yet still allow us to make a profit. We pass on those savings to veterans and all those who don't get the recognition they deserve. So if you want to support a veteran-owned business and get the best deal on your meat, look no further than Gruntworks Meat Company. We've got you covered from beef and chicken to pork and seafood. Thank you for choosing Gruntworks. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode of The Ryan Show FM is brought to you by Gruntworks Meat Company, a veteran-owned meat distribution company that is dedicated to providing high-quality meats at affordable prices. At Gruntworks, we believe that those who put themselves on the front lines for our country deserve to be compensated fairly. That's why we offer prices that are competitive, yet still allow us to make a profit. We pass on those savings to veterans and all those who don't get the recognition they deserve. So if you want to support a veteran-owned business and get the best deal on your meat, look no further than Gruntworks Meat Company. We've got you covered from beef and chicken to pork and seafood. Thank you for choosing Gruntworks. And we are back. The cat is still here with us. An actual factual movie star. Not just a professional wrestler. My man's been in one of the greatest movies of all time. A lot of people have seen The Wrestler and a lot of people have seen your work on the silver screen. So how did you land that role? To begin with, you talked about how they needed somebody, Cat, who was able to make Mickey Rourke look like a wrestler in the ring. We, you know, I just met with Mickey and we we as booked to do another movie together coming up soon. But Mickey said to me, he always talked about this. He said he had been off. He wasn't doing a lot of stuff at that time. And he said, so he took the first project he took on was this movie where he had to be a damn wrestler. He said he knew nothing about wrestling. So he said, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. But the director, Darren, you know, had plans. So he 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 got me to, to work with Mickey and he was easy to work with, man. And and like I said, man, the, he, he was like, to me, Mickey is like a DDP, you know, overdone and you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So he was made, but in acting, he was made for this part, man. And that's why he did so well in this. But that was, you know, one of my favorite movies to do though was um, Blood and Bones with Michael Jai White. I don't know if you know him. He's another Michael, guy that can kick some ass, Michael Jackson. Michael, Michael is. We we studied karate together for years and years. I was playing pro football in '85 when I met him in Connecticut, and all he wanted to do was be an actor and take karate. So we started wow. traveling the circuit together, and uh, we've been really good friends and fighting each other all the time. He was the guy. Now a lot of people don't understand it. Now you got to put this out there. A lot of people don't understand it, but if he lied about this, I'll go find him and do some work. Michael was the one where when we would travel to a karate school somewhere, Michael would go in and he'll explain and teach and kind of, you know, kind of work with people that way. I was the one when somebody said, hey, you want to fight, Mike? And I said, no, I'll fight. I was the one to go and do the fighting. Mike was the one to do the demonstrating, wow. you know, like acting, like he's doing now. Yeah. So when I hear all these stories about what Michael White, 
is a good fighter. Mike could have been one of the best fighters in anything. I'm not saying he couldn't. He's strong. He's powerful. He's smart. But he went more into that side of teaching, hmm. guiding. And, you know, not just by, I went into the side, I'm going to kick your ass. Then you're going to learn. I love that. So one question, because we do have to close things out. I want to ask you this earlier. We talk about Eric Bischoff being a black belt in karate. There's a lot of stories also circulating about Vince McMahon fighting everybody, challenging wrestlers to fights. The guy was an, a menace fighting everyone. Who do you think would win a fight in real life if you could take both these guys in their prime? Or even if it's just attitude era, 90s Vince versus 90s Eric Bischoff, who would win in a real life fight? You know what? I'm not going to say just because one, no karate, and the other one, no, maybe a little wrestling or whatever Vince McMahon knows. I'm not going to say that the karate guy gonna win, would win. But what I'm saying is this, from what I know from both, now I work closely with Vince McMahon, and I work with Eric, but I've been on the mat with Eric. We sparred together, and I saw what Eric, what Eric, listen, let me tell you this quick story, because you're going to want this. Eric, that father who I was telling the kid of, came in one day with his karate gi to my karate school. It was sparring day. And I had four instructors that I would line up on one side and everybody had to start at the end and fight each one of them around till they got to me. So Eric Bischoff started on one end. They were good fighters. Eric beat this guy. Out. I saw watching this guy. I was like, I'm hearing people like, ooh, ooh. I looked down there. Eric had this little blue gi on and it was so wrinkled. Man, he was kicking this kid, you know what? I was like, oh, okay, he's pretty good. Then he was fighting a guy who was a little bit better, next to him. So he moved down another man, and he fought that guy. He beat that guy. Man, this guy beat up four of my instructors. So when he got to me, I bowed and I looked at him. And the first thing he did is I went on top of his head. I kicked him in the top of the head. Bang. I spin kicked him. Bang. I hit him again. Bang. And then I heard a little voice that said, come on, Dad. Come on, Dad that usually be cheering for me. And that was Garrett watching us spar. And I was like, man, I don't have anything. And, and I didn't know Eric, who Eric was, anything. But I just knew he was my student father. I'm like, man, you know, I don't have anything. So that's when I started to kind of throw a kick, let him hit me. I flip out the way. I jump behind him, do a kick and get close to his head. And, and you know, and, and then we kind of toned it down a little bit. But then when we went to the locker room, and I was getting ready to go. He stopped me. He said, hey, Mr. Miller, thank. And I said, man, you're pretty good. He said, you're pretty good. He said, yeah, I fought in a couple of kickboxing fights. I said, I could see why you were good because you haven't practiced in a while. He said, no. He said, but thank you. I said, for what? He said, you could have ripped my face off any time you wanted to. And I was like, oh, I'm, we're not in the business to do that. Then he looked at me. He smiled with that bright teeth again. I mean, man, have you ever seen Eric? Man, this joke of teeth was so white. That, I'm just so surprised you guys clear. didn't know who he was. I mean, that's I Eric Bishop. But listen, so when we finished that and I said, thank you, he said, listen, I make, he said, this is my money maker. He pointed at his smile. And I was <laughs> like, so what do you do? And he said, uh, I work with WCW, a pro wrestling company. He didn't tell me he ran the company. Then two days later, I was at another gym and I ran into one of my favorite wrestlers that you see on TV with Booker T. So I told Booker T about, I said, yeah, we were talking. I said, yeah, you, I'm a big fan. We talk, talk, talk. And I said, you know, one of my karate kids 
father is Eric Bischoff. Booker T told me all about Eric. He said, man, if he ever wanted to do anything with you, do it. He said, well, he said, this guy is honest. He's trustworthy. He said, he's done everything for my brother and I. So he just said, you know, that's a good guy to know if you're going to ever do this, do something in this business. Well, what an answer. We do have uh, the lovely Courtney Barnes, the lawyer. She's coming in very, very soon. We okay. have a long conversation to have with her. But Ernest, I want to ask you one more thing. I saw you working with Usher, teaching karate to Usher. Is he well, a real... Is this legit karate this man's doing? Will he really kick some ass? See, what people don't understand, Usher was one of my karate students when he was 14. He got his black belt from me when, just as he made his first hit, my way. Wow. He was working with me. Matter of fact, he came into my office one day because his mom used to bring him up there. I didn't know anything about him, but I knew he did some talent shows. And, um, he used to come up there with about four other, five other little guys, and they all had a singing group. And I didn't know how good they was to one day Usher get off the bus, the school bus, and he'll come into my office, and he'll get dressed first, and still he'll sit down in my office, and we'll talk. So this one time, he came in with a cassette tape. And he was like, man, I've been in the studio, Mr. Miller. I said, oh, yeah. He said, yeah, I got on. I'm making some music. So I said, what are you doing? I said, you got, he said, yeah, you want to, want to listen to my cassette tape? I said, yeah. And it was a cassette, uh, cassette tape. It was in one of the, you know, the kind you put oh, in the recorder. Yeah. So I said, yeah. So he sat on my floor. It was a little thing sitting in the corner of my floor. He put a tape in and it started playing. And at the same time, he started singing with it. And that's my first time ever hearing somebody who sound just like they sound on the tape, you know? Wow. So I said, this guy got to be good. So I called one of my little, one of my cousins who was in uh, the music business. And I said, man, this is, I got this student over here, man. And I'm telling you, said he came in with a cassette tape that, of music he's making, but I was blown away with how he sounded in person. This kid can sing. And he said, what's his name? I said, his name is Usher. He said, man, that's, uh, he said, that's uh, <laughs> Usher. He said, yeah. He said, man, he's with Baby Face Production. Say he's huge. Say he just now coming out. So he's doing a lot of talent shows at the uh, at the uh, malls and stuff. But he said, that guy's huge, man. I was like, oh, I didn't know. But, you know, I had taught him for years. And until this day, Usher still see me bow and call me Mr. Miller. Like he can be in a crowd. He can be at this concert. If he see me, he has said, there go Mr. Miller call. We spend a lot of time when you're a karate instructor. You spend a lot of time with kids. And you're not doing it for the money. You're not doing it, not just kids, with your students. You don't, you're not doing it for the money. You're giving these people something that's more valuable than anything. And that's your time. So I spent a lot of time with him growing up and his mom and everything, man. And we're still friends. But he's one of my black belt. So is Emmanuel Lewis. I don't know if you ever heard wow. of Emmanuel Lewis. Yeah, of course. The little Webster, remember him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. He's one of my black belts. He's one of wow. my black belts. Man, I feel like we didn't get enough time in. Hey, I value brother. your time so much, but I feel like we still didn't hey. get enough of your time, Mr. Miller. But it's been a great honor to sit down with you. And where can they find you on social media? I know you don't want us to give out your number, but where can they slide in the DMs? Well, if you know what, tell her. I'm on Facebook, Ernest Cat Miller. I'm on uh, Instagram, and I put a lot of stuff. I just stopped right now, just got into social media. But I have uh, 
that platform. And I put out some of my karate schedule. I got two movies coming out. You know, I got one called Replaceable, and it's about old wrestlers, and we took over a town to fight with aliens. And that I kick people off and blow people. And it's with Tonga. You remember Tonga, right? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's so, and Ray Lord, so that's a good movie, man. And then me, like I said, uh, I'm doing uh, the MacGyver TV show. I was on that a couple of episodes. So I'm nice. doing some stuff. But most, most of the stuff I'm doing is martial arts. I'm working with martial arts. I'm working with kids. And I'm just getting, you know, I'm putting a dent in life by doing my martial arts. So I'm going to keep doing that. Keep denting life, my friend. It's been good to sit down with you. Everybody follow the cat. He is on social media now. Don't go anywhere. Courtney Barnes will be back if you stick around. We'll be back, folks. Yeah. Uh, someone's gotta check the stat sheet It's not days or the fans do Harder than the athletes What's the catch, man? You gotta know you drag feet Living every day in the past like it's last week Went from MVP to a black sheep Betting on an SVP like a bad beat I remember getting high in the backseat Trying to prove all of my worth when I'm half me Half man, half amazing was on the TV I don't really play anymore, I got a bad knee You asked me, I needed to be humbled I grew up, I needed to see stubble I threw up, I needed to see double I woke up, I needed to be vulnerable But I grew up around people without a global view You grab a mic, that's the only way to notice you Nowadays, well it's all about your total views You don't gotta do it live, that's so old to you I got a bone to pick, a couple loans to pay I'm on my Popovich, leave me alone today I get the Pope to quit, flying a drone to pray To show the hopelessness to all my protégés Cause I'm a shoulder blade, I got a vixen Twisting the lock like a hairpin in prison Acting like it's musical chance Instead of living, you were staring at your phone when they took the chair that you sit in So, bet your ass I'ma write these rhymes You can take the cash, but my psyche's mine About time y'all stop with the gang signs Lay off with the bang bro So when they say hang tight, you'll stand up and say no yeah. You'll stand up and say no You're taking a fake bribe, I'll turn it to Play-Doh Linguini Alfredo, I don't need to make those thrown at me when I'm on the stage But how you gon' run if you never fell on your face? If you never said I'ma stay when the truth was doing its stretch? You were safe, you were dull, you probably got progressive You were so well-rounded, you don't got no sharp edges Can you tell me where your head is? Did someone get the pixies? Cause if you don't find your mind, you gon' be pissing in a Dixie Wishing you were different, wishing you were mixy Stiffed on a tip by a fist full of gypsies Still here thinking about a night in Poughkeepsie Ending every verse like I typed an ellipsis Yeah
the city When they snapping pictures, tell them get my feet so I be dripping, get the squad cause they be with me No cut, let's just man like 50 grams that'll get your man right One brick that'll change your man life 50 yard line rep said excuse me boy, it's half time You not in the game, face me boy, you not in your lane You getting rained over, you can be jealous cause we ranked over I can't tell if he dead so I stand over Ernest the Cad Miller in walks Courtney Barnes, a legendary lawyer of our time, of our generation. We don't get many people of my generation, our age, Courtney, in this stream that have accomplished great things like pioneering literature that allows us to enjoy magic mushrooms. I just want to thank you right away. It's good to have you back, Courtney. Welcome to the Ryan Show FM. Thank you. It's my pleasure. And I promise this is a universal effort, but it is a really incredible time to be part of the movement. And I'm excited to be here talking about it. It is. And you're no stranger to doing this. It's not your first go around. You've been doing this for a very long time. To those that are loyal listeners of this program, they heard you earlier this summer when I went to the Hamptons Cannabis Expo and did a live presentation down there. And you were the, you, you killed it, by the way. First off, amazing job. Your live presentation was killer. Thank you. It was a pleasure. That was the first ever content on psychedelics at the Hamptons Cannabis Expo. So hopefully the first of many, but definitely a lot of new, you know, potential entrepreneurs and hopefully, you know, participants. And you are practicing law in a field that is on the rise because as time goes on, more and more drugs are becoming legal. Marijuana is becoming legal on a federal level as is psilocybin. So to give kind of an introduction, uh, this is actually directly off of the internet somewhere. I don't know if it's off your website, but Courtney was a lead drafter of the nation's first voter-initiated psilocybin policy reform ordinance, Denver Psilocybin Decriminalization Initiative, I-301 in 2018, and has an unparalleled experience drafting and helping to implement state and local policy reform measures relating to the decriminalization of psychedelics and the establishment of cannabis regulatory regimes. It's a lot. It's a big mouthful. But to those that caught that, there's a lot of gems in there that you've already been a part of. So. Yes. Put very simply, I helped to decriminalize and legalize 
plant medicine or psychedelics and cannabis. Um, so drugs, put simply, I, my goal and passion in life is to help provide safe and responsible access to healing through drugs. So where did that all begin? Wow. Um, there's a couple of different angles we can go there. Um, I was born overseas. My father was a DEA agent, actually. He passed away, but I, the war on drugs has always been a big part of my life and my upbringing. And as we kind of progressed into this medical cannabis era and my father got sick, um, he refused to ever try medical cannabis or any sort of plant medicine out of the principle of illeg illegality. But as the research came out showing how much, you know, that could have potentially helped with just even his end of life care, notwithstanding potential cancer treatment, I became more and more curious about the movement and sort of got interested in the field of drug policy reform as I decided to go to law school. So I got really lucky going to Denver and paired up with the firm that legalized or wrote the law that legalized cannabis in Colorado. And through that process, I was able to get to work on a variety of different legislation to help decriminalize psilocybin at first. And now we're moving into broad scope psychedelics. So New York just introduced a bill. There's lots of different exciting things going on. So before your father had gotten ill, were you had you ever used any cannabis or psychedelics or really experiments with anything like that to kind of have an understanding, a ground level understanding of all that? Sure. So as an attorney, I can't get into specifics, but I definitely experimented in, um, you know, during my upbringing and found it to be very healing. I didn't really start my intentional psychedelic journey until I was an adult. I was much more kind of that sort of hippie upbringing jam band music festival exploratory scene. But since I have been on an intentional use um, track and there are opportunities available internationally to engage in legal psychedelic therapy, it's profoundly changed my life and the life of my family. I think there's huge potential in healing, um, you know, trauma, PTSD, mental health ailments, and then um, potentially different, like just even physical indications. Um, so it's really exciting, but I do have experience with um, a movement I'm very passionate about. <laughs> and erasing that stigma is super important because there's a lot of people older than us that grew up thinking that drugs are bad, right? Or something like mushrooms, how could it possibly help somebody help heal somebody? So for a basic level of understand, uh, understanding, you mentioned trauma, how could something like psilocybin help somebody that's gone through trauma? Sure. So there's so many different kinds of trauma, but essentially it's an experience where you were not able to properly and fully process that emotional response, both your body and your brain's response to a very difficult event. And that can mean, you know, anything um, from sexual assault, going into war, losing a parent, you know, trauma can happen in all sorts of ways. Um, and psilocybin is been, has been shown when you're doing this sort of introspective blindfold on going within and to help you process those emotions that you wouldn't otherwise be able to um, just kind of intellectually like going through therapy, talk therapy, you know, your ego is going to stop you at some point before you're really able to kind of surrender to those painful, you know, less um, desirable parts of yourself and your history yeah. and help you find sort of compassion at a minimum for for those experiences. 
So would you think that it's, I wouldn't say a, a shortcut to therapy. Is it something that maybe you should do at the same time as therapy? Is it like, is it, a, is it an alternative to be able to uh, mentally get over any type of trauma? I feel like people spend so much money. It's almost like a complex when you go to therapy. I never under, understood therapy. I'm just going to get this out there right now. I've had people always say, oh, Ryan, you're out of your mind. Go to a goddamn therapist. But I have great friendships where I can talk and vent and, and get things out. Um, and I've done a handful of, of psychedelics. So, uh, you know, like mushrooms, I'll admit I'm not going to get fired. I'm not a lawyer. So I'll admit mushrooms have been have been great in any type of trauma that I might have experienced in life. Instead of having to pay a therapist and talk to them and go through this arduous process week in and week out of opening up to somebody that I'm paying to open up to, it just always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. So would you say that psilocybin is kind of an alternative to having to go see a therapist or is it something that you can simultaneously use and maybe have them guide you uh, through the correct usage? Ooh, great question. I think our biggest mistake we can make is that, um, you know, taking this drug is a miracle, you know, bypass. And if you just sit with psilocybin or any psychedelic once, you know, you'll get all your downloads, you'll have the meaning of life and like everything will be great. And if anything that I've learned throughout this process is like, regardless of how difficult your psychedelic experience is, that is so much easier than actually doing the work afterwards, which is, you know, you get those downloads, you have those self-realizations, you unrepress those memories. And then it's what you do after the, after the journey that really counts, which is that shadow reflection that how can I make sure that I really fully, you know, process that difficult time without, um, okay. So yeah, so put very simply, I do believe that psychedelics have potential to provide healing in ways that talk therapy just can't get to for a lot of people. So yes, I think this will catalyze how we, you know, address mental health. Absolutely. But I do think that the integration, so having a guide, if you're going to do a big dose, if you're going to do like a therapeutic dose, um, to have a guide that you can work with afterwards, even if that is, you know, for example, your friend or someone that you feel open to talk to, but someone that will either hold you accountable to the kind of making sure that you're processing and integrating those downloads, um, yeah. or just, you know, someone to sort of supervise you during a very vulnerable process. Cause that's kind of the big thing is, um, while psilocybin's being studying for everything from ADHD and like microdosing, um, which is sort of sub perceptual, you shouldn't feel high. You should just kind of have that mood uplifting uh, feeling and focus and creativity through big doses, which are, you know, sort of incapacitating. You're not going to be walking around that you're meant to have a blindfold on. It's really powerful. You can lose your perception of, you know, time and space. Um, and so there's a big spectrum of psych of psilocybin use specifically, but psychedelics in general. So, you know, to answer your question, I think in pairs would be incredible. The both the psilocybin kind of gets you past your ego and opens you up to explore things that you would just kind of, you know, repress yeah. otherwise. But then you've got to be able to, you know, express it and release that. I feel like that's not a shaman's job. That is where the therapist comes in. When you realize what's wrong with you, you've understood why you're a psycho. Now, how are we going to work on it? It's like you can have <laughs> these realizations on the mushrooms, but what the hell are you going to do about it? Okay. So I guess that's kind of where I'm sitting at and maybe many other listeners too. Um, yeah, absolutely. Myself included. It took me a long time of doing what I thought was like the work and being like, you know, I've, I've done these ceremonies. I've sat and thought about it. And then it's like, wait a minute though. I'm still caring a lot. And then you really start the work and 
here we are today. <laughs> As a firsthand user, I've been testing out doses. I feel like it's tough. I've done mushroom trips and they're different almost every time in some way. There's that initial feeling that you get, but how do you test something like that out from a, from a doctor's standpoint? How is a doctor... Do you study psilocybin when it has different effects on everybody? How can you tell what it's really doing? Because just my experience doing mushrooms, it's almost a little different every time. Absolutely. Um, one of my big kind of premises of psychedelic use is that, especially when it comes to plant medicine, is that it'll show you what you need to see at that time. You know, you can have some really difficult sort of experiences, and then you have some that are super light and fun. And and that could be the same amount of psilocybin. So they are very subjective, different experiences. And I think as we get into um, drug sort of the approval process with these compounds, we're using synthetic psilocybin for the most part. So you can kind of eliminate that plant matter discrepancy or fungi. Um, oh, but okay. Yeah. So it's just that isolated compound because that you can replicate. But it is still, you know, what goes on your brain is is aside from what reactor, you know, chemical receptors it acts on, your like visual and emotional and therapeutic experience is very different from person to person. So they've kind of figured out sort of a range of microdosing and a range of therapeutic dosing and then, you know, the heroes dose plus um categories but it but it is still very experimental what is going to be a three and a half gram experience for one person at one weight with one experience and tolerance level will be different for you know let's say someone a lot bigger with you know more body weight and more experience using the compound may need a, a different dose so that's what's kind of tricky about entering this new world of psilocybin and other psychedelics being used pharmaceutically is that they're not like your typical standardized drug um yeah. they're a lot more you know ethereal and spiritual and beautiful but it's it's requiring us to create new environments and regulatory structures to accommodate these compounds as opposed to trying to fit them in our current like you know drug regulatory regime which is just not sufficient for for all yeah. of these new things yeah I, it, it's that's a very very good point um, we're going to go to a very very quick break we have a lot to talk about tonight a lot to absorb and digest and break down my little brain needs to take a little break so we're gonna play some music courtney what's your favorite hip-hop song Ooh, i favorite i wouldn't know but i guess we could do oh international players anthem oh my UGK god i'm so glad you're saying that that is is that not one of the hardest andre 3000 verses of all time i love it that's my like go-to song <laughs> go -to. the whole song's great but that first verse right before it drops oh i could hear it a million times Enjoy, folks, the International Players Anthem as chosen, as selected by Courtney Barnes. We will return. So, I typed a text to a girl I used to see, saying that I chose this cutie pie with whom I want to be. And I apologize if this message gets you down. And then I CC'd every girl that I'd CC round town. And hate to see y'all frown, but I'd rather see her smiling. It's all around me, true, but I'm no island. Peninsula, maybe. Makes no sense. I know crazy. Give up all this cat that's in my lap no looking back spaceships don't come equipped with rear view mirrors they dip as quick as they can the atmosphere is now ripped i'm so like a i'm glad it's night so the light from the sun would not burn me on my bum when i shoot the moon high jump the broom like a preemie out the womb my partner yelling too soon don't do it reconsider read some litter 
mature on the subject. You sure? You know we got your back like chiropractic. If that do you dirty, we'll wipe her out as in detergent. Now hurry, hurry, go on to the altar. I know you ain't a but remember what I taught you. Keep your heart three stacks. Keep your heart, hey, keep your heart three stacks. Keep your heart. Man, these girls are smart. Three stacks, these girls are smart. Play your part. Play your part. To choose it, lover, never without a buff. Never in the seats like it on top of the cover. Money on the dresser, drive a compressor. Top notch, get the most, not the lesser. Trash like the $40 in the club. And up the game, it gets no love. She be cross country, giving all that she got. A thousand a pop, I'm pulling billions off the lot. I smashed up the gray one, bought me a red. Every time we hit the parking lot, we turn head. Some wanna choose, but them is too scary. You chose me, you ain't a, you a fairy. Precision, I pick or make my selection on who I choose to be with. Girl, don't touch my protection. I know you won't let to slip, but slipping is something I don't do. Tipping for life. That's like making it rain every month on schedule. Let me tell you, get your parasol umbrella, cause it's gonna get better. Prepare you for the sea support. She's supposed to spend it on that baby, but we see she don't. As, as Paul McCartney, the lawyers couldn't stop this. Slaughter, slaughter of them pockets had to tie to a rocket. Send her into outer space, I know he wish she could. Cause he paying 20k a day, that is eating good. Like an infant on a double titty, just getting drunk. Cause you miscalculated the next to the, the last pump. Dump, dump in the gut. From the giddy up, better choose the right one or pick, pick the kitties up. And we have returned. This is a journey and you are traveling with us on these radio airwaves tonight. This is indeed the Ryan Show FM with your host, Ryan Vernell. And they say that things are good in small doses. At least people tell me all the time, Ryan, you're good in small doses. And I ask the lovely Miss Courtney Barnes, lawyer, attorney at law. I ask you the same thing. Mar- uh, not marijuana, magical mushrooms, psilocybin mushrooms. Are they good in large doses, small doses? Because I keep reading about this mysterious heroic dose. 
what exactly is the heroic dose? Let's start there. Sure. Um, so the heroic dose is, I think, originally coined um, by Terrence McKenna as a five gram psilocybin experience. So in essence, it's a psilocybin experience at a quantity where you sort of lose perception of time and surrounding. So you're completely immersed in your psychedelic experience. You have to surrender pretty hard. You definitely, you know, can't really be moving around. You're supposed to have your blindfold on, but essentially like a, a dose that requires complete surrender where you sort of lose, you know, have an ego death and, um, and see what the journey is supposed to show you. Wow, what a trip. So five grams. Now you're talking my language. But that could be a scary thing if you're not Absolutely. in the right state of mind. The rule of thumb, which I mentioned off air, that I was told as a kid messing around with psychedelics. I say as a kid. I should start saying that. As a young man messing <laughs> around with psychedelics. I'm throwing too much out there. I've got kids that are going to hear this. Um, which is um, the exact rule of thumb is – sorry, I'm getting uh, getting hit up there – is um is be careful how much you take right things are good in small doses and be sure that you're in a good mood as you take psychedelics the rule of thumb if you're not in a good state of mind when you take psychedelics it could be absolute hell on earth so is there any so, truth to that yes set and setting is kind of the golden rule of psychedelic use so you want to be in the correct mindset as you sort of alluded to not to say that psychedelics can't help people going through very difficult experiences but those experiences are you know not the appropriate time for using psychedelics recreationally you want to be in a trained guided supported environment where you have people that are sort of qualified and experienced working with that really difficult experience if you're trying to you know just um, experiment in a place where it's legal and decriminalized, then it's, yes, you wanna be in the proper mindset. You wanna be around people that are supportive of you and um, you know are experienced and can are willing to take care of you and, and sort of know what that process looks like. And then the dose really depends on what you're looking to get out of it. So as I mentioned, there's clinical studies that are in being undergone for microdosing, so small, small doses for you know performance enhancement, uh, ADHD, for, uh, you know memory, creativity, and then you move up the spectrum to sort of that hero's dose, which really isn't necessarily even being studied. It's more of anecdotal and. Um, as I mentioned, because most of the clinical trials are using synthetic psilocybin, that that weight differentiation is very different. So, you know, mm. five grams of psilocybin contained in dried mushrooms is a lot less psilocybin than pure psilocybin. So, you know, you would not take five grams of isolated psilocybin. Um, oh my God, what'd that do to somebody? What would it do to you if you took too much psilocybin? Could you get it is not likely to kill you, but it is can be very, very... Um, difficult and overwhelming and yes and so you want to be thoughtful and that's kind of our goal here is that you know plants in general nature should not be illegal it should not be criminalized there are you know hundreds of species of mushrooms dozens that can kill you and those are all legal but the ones that contain psilocybin which you know are almost very difficult to kill you if not impossible uh, and have the potential to save lives are illegal. So we have this kind of context already that's, you know, very unjust. Um, 
but they are very powerful compounds. So they're not to be taken lightly. And as we move into this world where we're going to have decriminalization, we have decriminalization of psilocybin in 17 cities, two states. Um, It's important that people that do have experience like yourself and um, anyone listening to try to be a good role model so we don't blow it. Like we're kind of entering a new paradigm shift of getting access. We're finally you know, being ungrounded as adults to experiment with our consciousness, but that comes with a lot of responsibility too. So um, while it is fun, it is important to do so thoughtfully. And, you know, we're hopefully gone are the days where you're in high school and someone makes you eat an eighth, you know, like don't do that. Start low, get, you know, go slow and, and wait and find somewhere it's legal or decriminalized. Yeah. That was like, that was what you did. That was high school. You, you look for an eighth of mushrooms. You didn't know any better. You know about <laughs> yeah. microdosing. You know, that stuff existed back then. It's wow. true. You know, it's true. It's just so hard to quantify anything like this. I feel like a lot of science is based on mathematics. What do I know? I'm just an idiot. But I feel like a lot of science is based on math, right? So when you have something like psilocybin that is hard to quantify and measure and everybody's acting so differently, but you know it's the right thing like those that have actually tried it know firsthand that if used the right way it can be an incredible tool so you know hats off to you the smart people that are making it okay for us and helping us get a better understanding of why it's good being able to put it into words and articulate it to erase that stigma because like you said it's a lot of responsibility in everybody's hands it is i mean we're as you know people have been using these medicines for since time memorial, you know, forever. But we've come a long way in in misinformation and just the war on drugs and people's perception and fear. And fear is a big thing going into any psychedelic journey. And so, yeah, we have a lot of work to do, but it's, it's really exciting. We have Oregon is accepting licenses now as of January for its psilocybin program. So this year they will be accepting and reviewing and issuing licenses to state level manufacturers of psilocybin and treatment centers. So if you're an adult visiting Oregon, eventually you'll be able to go into a store, purchase psilocybin and sit and have a psychedelic experience with a trained guide that is state legal. And that's incredible. How do you become a trained guide? I'm sorry to interrupt, but how do you become a trained guy? Before I forget, that just sounds like an incredible job. What's the qualifications? So it's really interesting because, again, we're trying to fit this sort of Western medical model into this ancient medicine. So you do have to get a state level license. I believe you need a high school diploma or a GED, but you don't have to be a doctor. You don't have to be a licensed therapist. You don't have to be you know, a medical professional. Um, I think it's about 120 hours of training. There's... What type of training do you do for that? So it's like all sorts of things. There's like the history of psychedelic use. There's ethics in it. um, Sort of working through trauma and difficult experiences. Um, There's some observational studies. And then you're sort of testing and compliance and sort of regulatory profiles. So, but again, this is all sort of trailblazing. We don't know what this will look like being implemented. And it's definitely going to take a lot of trial and error. But you could theoretically in a couple years right now, Oregon residents are the only ones that are eligible to get a facilitator license. But I think in like two years, you could go to Oregon and take a class and 
get your license to sit with people to have psychedelic experiences. And they do have this kind of sort of um, expedited credit. I don't know what the perfect word is for it, where you can, if you've been a, you know, ancestral trained facilitator or sort of a shaman, or you've had training sort of outside the regulated system, you can submit that training and get some like credit hours essentially. So they're trying to acknowledge that their way isn't like the only and best way to like provide psychedelic use safely, but there's also a lot of fear and afraid, you know, you fear and letting go of control. So yeah. I think you can get up to like 20 hours or maybe 40, but you still have to kind of take the course. So it's, it'll be an interesting group of people that are sort of being the first ones to oh, be that's a guide, sure. but you could do it. <laughs> oh my God. I can only imagine. Cause let's be honest. A lot of the stereotypical shamans, they've been real characters over the years. They should be grandfathered in though. All these Mexican shamans, the guys that you see with the canes and sitting in caves and the hieroglyphics on the wall, the stereotypes, right? They need to be grandfathered in. Come on. I mean, that's anyone's opinion, right? Is if you, I believe that there's a portion of the population that is only going to access psilocybin if it's legal yeah. through one of these state level systems. There's people that are only going to access psilocybin if it's FDA approved and a you know prescription pharmaceutical, and those people are important. And then there's also a big group of people that have been using psilocybin with shamans and guides and you know family um, for years, and that's important too. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, who out of that traditional use population or or your quote unquote shamans want to come and be a part of this program, or whether they'll continue to you know practice the ways that they've been taught by their ancestors. Um, so I, my hope would be that we can decriminalize so the sham shamanic practices can continue and then regulate so people who are new to it can go to a facility with air conditioning and, you know, uh, insurance and have their experience uh, there. Can you be a it's, doctor recommended shaman? Is there FDA approval? <laughs> There's no FDA approval. I believe that a doc, you know, you can be whoever you want to be, Ryan. I love <laughs> Don't that. sell yourself That's short. Right <laughs> yeah, no pun intended. I love it. Well, I think this is a good time to move to a very quick break. We're going to come back and talk more, wrap things up. I want to know what Courtney has going on. Moving into the new year, after all, it is 2023, and there's a lot of changes happening in this nation and around the world. Shamans, users, abusers and everything in between stay tuned we'll be back soon i'm from new york i'm from new york gun buster street hustler y'all know not to trust us i'm from new york i'm from new york R-O-Y-A-L-F-L-U-S-H Bad drinking old grapes Been getting money since Clue made tapes Is it me or these young rappers wasting good space? Cause the on my hip or get your erased You were working while I'm trying to dodge Jake I can tell by your jewelry your lifestyle fake your lifestyle's fake OT with fake plates Selling that good weight Got a mansion in the Hamptons I swim in my own lake I'm a boss to y'all clowns Moving my own pace I'm 
I'm from Queens, so don't hate I'm from New York I'm from New York Gun buster, street hustler Y'all know not to trust us I'm from New York I'm from New York Catch me OT, big OG Hoodie on with the gold teeth Nixon that good, but I'm still gonna ride with him. It's probably my fault, cause half the team I got high with him. I wasn't getting high with him, and then I'm supplying him. My money getting low, so I gotta keep an eye on him. The car that I drive had the feds trying to spy on him. It had the feds trying to spy on him. Come home from jail, shooters, I'm hiring them. Man, I'm the one that own the f projects. Bust slugs at your rejects. Who's next? You see me at the dice game taking all bets. Got your bitch in the telly watching old Mike Epps. Code with respect. And got the AR aimed to your I'm neck. I'm from New York. I'm from New York. Gun buster, street hustler. Y'all know not to trust us. I'm from New York. Rest in peace, big pun, big L, big popper. Lay back in that Maybach blasting that who shot ya. Two bad strippers for leaps, all lobster. My whole team in the game, we make rosters. The king of New York, you imposters. I'm the king of New York, you imposters. With a general with a gun that ain't in your smell. Even if my homies locked up, I got a gun and drown. Fuck my son teacher, so we passing now. I'm buying out the more you getting hand-me-downs. I know you're mad at your life. You probably wanna go and tell a vice. Your wife on Instagram liking all pictures. I'm built for this life. Y'all some I'm from New York. I'm from New York. Gun buster, street hustler. Not to trust us I'm from New York I'm from New York Catch me OT, big OG Hoodie on with the gold teeth And we're back live from the Hamptons this is the Ryan Show FM. I know a lot of people think we're from New York City, Courtney, but that's the co-host, Mr. Cheeks. That is in route, as always. The man is down in Atlanta right now. But, Courtney, you are coming to New York. You have work to do in our great state. Could you tell us more about what brings you to New York State? Yes. So I am counsel at a, a New York psychedelics and cannabis business and policy firm, Feldman Legal Advisors. And I also am affiliated with the Decriminalize um, First nonprofit in New York who's been working on legislation in the state. So actually, Senator Rosenthal and a couple other Democrats have just introduced or reintroduced legislation that would legalize the sort of grow, gather, and gifting of natural psychedelics, including psilocybin and ibogaine. And then, you know, we're working on policy all over the country. So Florida, we have a bill that's... Oh, um, no. Don't make yeah. it legal. That's the one state we should avoid giving mushrooms to. 
My God. Wow. That, you can't say I'm that. Just That's being not the concept. It. At least the heroic <laughs> doses. You can't give a heroic dose to a Florida man. Come on, let's be honest. That's so funny. Or maybe um, that's what they need. You Lay know, off the bath salts, more mushrooms. <laughs> I think everyone needs mushrooms as long as it's not going to endanger your physical health. I think it's. I think everyone should try it in a safe and responsible and legal way. But um, there's I'm a bill still, there to... <laughs> this is a perfect time to play a video that is now trending. And this is perfect proof... Courtney, that mushrooms need to be legalized because otherwise there's going to be psychos like this rapper YV and Melly running around and poisoning people. Is it YVN oh, yeah. or is it YNS? Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna play a video that has gone viral, if you don't mind. And this young kid is in jail now. Thank God, thank God. But there's other people out there that are doing things like this. We're gonna play a quick soundbite. Don't go nowhere, folks. I get a lot iPhone. I get a lock, you know the iCloud lock? I steal the phone, iCloud lock it, sell it to your ass lock. Then you, then you gotta then you gotta give me the you gotta give me the um you gotta give me the phone back. Cause you're gonna think I'm gonna unlock it for you, then I'm gonna drive off. Keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. I made like eighteen hundred a week off that shit. I ain't had no job. I used to finesse all the little kids who like smoking weed and doing them crazy ass shrooms and all that. I used to get mushrooms out the fing ground, wrap them up fake ass acid. Used to um, just get paper and draw on it. <laughs> Sell it to him for like ninety dollars and shit. I ain't never had no Psycho. job. Psycho. And this guy, and this guy's laughing, thinks it's a big joke that he's taking mushrooms at the ground and wrapping them up and selling them to the other kids in high school. Crazy. It, it is very dangerous, and it. You're right. That is another reason why we should have regulated access so people can know what they're putting into their bodies because. Yes, I, I agree with that. I know it's the beginning of that clip was a little out of context, but the second part of that clip, him wrapping up mushrooms, drawing on pieces of paper and selling it as acid, it's the equivalent of putting fentanyl in Coke to me, right? It's it's why these things, why drugs should be made legal when you see people like that. So what are some of the other dangers of not legalizing drugs at this point? We all know about the cartels and criminals that are selling them. But what are some of the other dangers of people like that that are going out there and doing things of that nature? I think you made a really good point with um, not knowing what you're buying and not being able to trust the product. Uh, I, I think it's in, kind of crazy that drug testing kits are illegal in most states. So consider paraphernalia. So while we have these drug laws to keep people safe, we don't allow people to know what they're putting in their body and engage in risk management if um, if they want to. And I think that's a huge issue. And then also on top of it, we have a huge mental health crisis and that's a danger to society. We have hundreds of people committing suicide every day. The mental health crisis is getting worse in America. People are overdosing every day. And so having access to psychedelics and compounds that really have the ability to not just sort of mask these symptoms of depression and PTSD and uh, suicide ideation, but actually help heal people is really incredible. So I think it's a danger that we don't have more options to, for mental health. And then, yeah, drug testing is critical. And then we just have a massively overpopulated prison population and our criminal justice system can't handle the work that it you know has already so we should focus on eliminating those sort of law enforcement, the use of law enforcement resources towards away from nonviolent drug offenses. So 
drug testing. Total waste of money. Mental health is important. And um, yeah, enforcement priorities and use of resources. Makes sense. And Courtney, 2023 is upon us. We talk about what you're going to be doing in New York State. But what else can we look forward to and where can our listeners find you? Yes. So 2023, Colorado is going to be implementing. They'll be passing laws or rules for their psilocybin psychedelic program. New Jersey has a bill on the works. California has a bill in the works. We'll, um, we have 17 cities that have decriminalized, as I mentioned already, and I hope to see more. And to reach me, if you want to chat or learn more, would be on Instagram at cbgoes underscore global. So that's my Instagram. And then Feldman Legal Advisors, if you are in need of legal services. All right. And I know a lot of you are, so be sure to hit her up. <laughs> Not criminal there- defense, but if you want to start a business in this space, let me know. <laughs> there we go. You heard it straight out of Courtney's mouth. Courtney, it's been a true honor to have you back. You've become our mushroom specialist. Thank you very much, Ryan. It's my pleasure. That actually might offend Dave Falkowski. So we're going to say you're our psychedelic specialist. Okay. And legal specialist. Courtney, it's been great. Thank you very much. Follow her. We'll be back soon, folks. Don't go anywhere. Tech is on the way. Do you remember Smith & Wesson? Courtney, that's a hit classic hip hop right there. Yes. You remember Smith and Wesson? Damn. Well, I, I know of Smith and Wesson, but I I yeah, don't quote me. Wow. Well, you did after all tell us to play the international players anthem, so I believe you. We'll be I back soon. Folks. Florida as a teen. <laughs> I love it. We'll be back. Don't go anywhere, people. Cost more than your mama need for rent That's just for one The drum rip, leave you rinse Hide the body for a week and it's gonna leave a stench Rappers coming to my city, they gon' need consent Cause we already know you We convinced I told Virgil, right brick on my brick The nicest with this ain't right this I just spit White on my This ice drip on my fist No shoe deal, but look at all this Nike sh- that I get yeah. On those Street, this white sh- that I pitch Two in the morning on the corner, night shift with my blick No soda in this off-white sh- that I whip I'm rich, put all this off-white sh- on my yeah. 
So if it's smoke, we ain't even asking. We just pulling up and somebody gon' see a casket. Hauling Ash and Benny like James Worthy, Kareem and Magic. Every time Griselda drops, it's gonna be a classic. All good things must come to an end, yes. Even this radio program, but don't worry, folks, it's 2023, which means that you can listen to replays of the Ryan Show FM on literally any streaming platform. However, we prefer you go to Podcast, Apple Podcast, and leave a review. It'll help us beat that algorithm, that dastardly podcast algorithm, and help other people discover our show that are not driving around in their cars. Be sure to follow our guests, Miss Courtney Barnes and Ernest the Cat Miller, on all the social media platforms that they plugged. They're very Googleable. You can find them. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week. Be good. Be safe. I love you all, and I will see you very soon. Until we meet again, folks, over and out. Peace. Peace.